Welcome everybody to the Diecast Movie Podcast. For this episode, we have a special interview brought to you by my dad. Take it away, Dad. Hello, everybody. This is Steve. Um, sorry for a little delay in episodes. I was just recovering from an illness and also coming back from vacation. So there was a little bit of a delay between episodes, one unexpected and one expected. So I'm apologizing for that. Um, we're going to be going into our interview with Kathy Coleman in just a minute. I was going to give you a little behind the scenes type stuff. It was kind of interesting when I sent in an email to Miss Coleman about would she be willing to be interviewed. It has to be the quickest turnaround I've ever had in my life. Within 15 minutes or so, she called me up and said, Hey, Steve, I'd love to do the interview. Do you have time to do it right now? So literally, I sent out the email, and within a half hour, I had my recording equipment set up, and we're recording and doing the interview. So she was a really nice person and really appreciative of her time because she was busy at the she had a moment of like an hour of moment or an hour of time to do it. So she was um, able to fit it in her schedule, and I, I just came I came so appreciative of her. Also, for those that want to meet Miss Coleman. Her and I talk a lot about in the interview how she's going to be at the upcoming Monster Bash, um, June 24th for the 26th. And just to give you an idea what Monster Bash is like, we're going to play a little promo for it. And then I'm going to go right from the promo into the interview. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope to see you guys at Monster Bash so we can all take that raft ride with um, Kathy Coleman and Wesley Yore down to the land of the lost. Enjoy. The greatest classic monster conference ever, Monster Bash, is happening June 24th, 25th, and 26th at the Marriott Pittsburgh North, nestled in the beautiful green hills north of the city. Vendors of classic monster merchandise will be featured with over a hundred tables of fantastic collectibles. Find the stuff your mom threw out years ago. Guests of honor at Monster Bash that you can meet and get autographs from include Hammer's Caroline Monroe, the son of John Wayne, actor Patrick Wayne, the cast from the 1970s TV show Land of the Lost, Wesley Ewer, Kathy Cloman, and even a slee stack. Plus, Beverly Washburn from Spider Baby, One Step Beyond, and Old Yeller. Pittsburgh special effects wizard, actor, and director Tom Savini. Jeremy Ambler from TV's The Walking Dead. John Russo from the original Night of the Living Dead. And TV horror host Son of Ghoul, Drac, and Countess Corita, Mr. Lobo, and more. Over 1,000 fans of classic monster movies, just like you, will call Monster Bash home this June. A film fest, question and answer sessions with the stars, wall-to-wall vendors, and all the classic monster excitement you can take. Go to monsterbash.us now for details. That's monsterbash.us. And join fans from across the country. It's the Monster Bash. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. And today I'm going to be doing another interview where I'm joined by the amazingly talented Kathy Coleman, who was a singer in the Mike Curb Congregation, actress in Land of the Lost and Adam 12, and is also a writer of a couple of different books. How are you doing today, Miss Coleman? What an introduction. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I am I am just overjoyed. I just talked yesterday <laughs> to, to Wesley, and I'm talking to you today. I mean, for a fan of Land of the Lost, I, I'm, I'm on cloud nine. I mean, I, I don't think I can get any higher. 
Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, you you had a good conversation with Wesley because he's, he's a fabulous guy. He is extremely generous, and, and so are you. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to meeting both of you this um, June at Monster Bash in, north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and taking the raft ride. Oh, absolutely. We have to get you in. Without a doubt. And I'm looking, I, I like Pittsburgh very much. And every time I go, I've enjoyed myself. So I'm really looking forward to being back. Oh, I'm looking forward to meeting both of you and um, the rat. I mean, I've heard stories about you guys when the fans show up, how you two put on a show for the fans. Um, it's just amazing. I mean, I, I don't know if you want to talk about that for a minute, but besides the raft, you guys have like a little bit of everything and just are really so engaging. Well, you know, it, it's actually, it's, it makes it fun for us. If, if you just come to the table and you, we just sign an autograph or we take a picture and you know, those famous pictures of the people who point their finger, Oh yes, <laughs> their, their arm is around a celebrity and they're pointing their finger. We didn't, we don't want you to walk away like that. We want you to engage with us and ask us questions and, and even questions that are not even related to land of the law. Some people just want to know, you know, like just what you're doing in your life. And they just want to, you know, just talk to you and feel like when they walk away, they actually had a moment with you. And those are my favorites. I love that when that happens, when that person walks away feeling like, you know, that actor didn't just say the the regular stuff that he says to everybody. He actually said something that was personal for me. And, um, yeah, it makes it more fun for us. And we do. We, we spend a good chunk of time with people. It's not a quick minute here, minute there for each person. You know, we, we really do. We, we throw our hearts into it. And, and the payback is is they throw their hearts back at us. So it's a win-win situation. I know talking to Wesley that you both have gotten different stories from a lot of different people that have really touched your hearts. And I know one story he brought up was where you had a, a blind couple who were, yeah. uh, who were sight, yeah. who, who had sight when they saw land, they lost and both lost their sight around the same time and ended up together and right. had met you. Yeah, that was, that was amazing. They, they were brought to the table with a guide. And when he explained that they met each other in a, a school for the blind, and that was something that they talked about was, you know, their favorite shows, their favorite music, what have you. And um, that's how they, they built their relationship on the different things that they both shared that they enjoyed. And um, when they got to meet me, they wanted to like feel me, like touch my hair and, you know, and then they were touching the sleeve stack head and because I bring a sleeve stack head and put it on the table and just all of it. And the one woman says, you've, you're so tall, you know, and I told her I have sleeve stack blood in me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, it was, it really was amazing. It was an amazing, I mean, just a ton of good stories like that. One woman, she came to the table in a wheelchair and she said, you know, I have lived with pain 24 seven, my entire life. But she said, as a child, when I would watch land of the lost, I could escape and escape for a half an hour from the pain. And it was like, Oh my God, you know, I mean, how, how, how do you even, you know, 
react to a story like that. It's just, it's so heart heartwarming, you know? And I think that's one of the reasons like you and Wesley and a lot of people go to the conventions because one, it, it, it's nice to give back to the fans, to give that, but to hear the stories from them just seems to fill both of you guys up with so much love. It's, it's, it's like, it's like a win-win. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that, you know, almost 50 years ago when we went on that interview, just like we had done a hundreds and hundreds of other times, you go in on an interview and, you know, maybe you get the job, maybe you don't. But when we swung that door open, that, that would change our lives. And it, it's been with us for almost 50 years and the joy that it's brought. It is amazing. You know, not just not just for for us. Of course, we've we've benefited by a ton of joy from it. But that you know, because here's here's one thing I want to point out that I think is so so cool about these conventions. I always tell people, you know, you're so lucky that you get to meet me. And I said, and this has nothing to do with ego. I said it just these conventions weren't available for us when we were kids. And I would have given my right arm to meet David Cassidy, but I just could have a poster of him on my wall in my bedroom. We we couldn't, no matter what price we paid, go to a convention, meet a person, talk to them for a while, get a picture with them. That wasn't a possibility back then. And so for you guys to be able to come here and not just to be able to get to meet me, which, I, like I said, has nothing to do with ego. It's just the process of of it all you know but there's 20 other celebrities here that you you know loved in their shows and stuff and you just get to go and meet them isn't that like mind-blowing to you I don't know how old you are but all I know is when I was a kid and I had all the same crushes that all the other 12 year old girls had we never got to meet those people I mean I got to meet a couple of people because I was in the industry but still a lot of them were way out of touch for me just like they were everybody else yeah I was born in the late 60s so I understand exactly what you mean about how you would see these people on TV or the movies and then you you would never see them. I mean, it would it would be like a, a rare treat when somebody's doing a tour or something, and you'd be like a like a publicity tour, and they'd be like, "You have your chance to see so and so," and that was the big thing. And now, it a lot of people are so more accessible, and it's just so great. And and for listeners, if you have a chance to go to a convention like Monster Bash or Mid Atlantic Nostalgia Convention, or there's there's so yeah, many out there. Yeah, come to Monster go. Bash. <laughs> come to Monster Bash. <laughs> Yeah, come, come in there. It's late June. You'll be you know, we're just you know, we're talking a little more than a month from when this episode comes out. You're gonna get you have a chance to meet Cappy and Wesley and the whole bunch of other people, um, uh, uh, Patrick Wayne, Carolyn Monroe, and so on. Rod Adams puts on a great show, so go out there and en enjoy yourself. And if you see me, you'll see this guy's really happy because I'm getting to meet my um, people I grew up watching too. <laughs> oh, you'll get lots of hugs and everything. <laughs> That that's the thing, and that's a, that's something that's been missing is chance to have that human connection. You know, in the last couple of yeah. years, it's finally people getting to be able to see each other, touch each other. Yeah. Oh. Can you imagine when this when COVID hit, our industry really got it hit hard because that is what we do. We're we're flung into a, a building that has thousands and thousands of people that all want to hug you. 
it was like <laughs> the worst job, you know, of, of, of like trying to like be safe. You just, there was just no way. So show after show after show got canceled for about a year and a half. Oh, I know. And it's, it's or someone virtual, which is nice, but nowhere near the same as having that real life experience, you know, where you can actually talk to people like yourself and right oh, there it's night and day so what got you started into acting you know because you, you started off as a young child uh, did you um, what, what got you into was it your interest was it your parents was it a little bit of both well when i was about four and a half or something and probably all through you know my toddler years people would say to my mom you know you should get that kid into show business well we lived in massachusetts at the time and it was just not a possibility but then we moved across the country when i was five and wound up in california and people started saying it again to my mom so she got an agent for me and i went on a bunch of interviews but my mother being Australian and, and completely unfamiliar with the industry thought that they were looking for the next Shirley Temple. So she'd send me on interviews in party dresses and patent leather shoes and curly hair when they were just looking for the kid next door. Well, I did wind up getting my very first commercial because they were looking for Goldilocks. Well, that was a shoe in. I looked just like her when I was a little kid. So then after that, my mother started toning me down and putting me in sweatshirts and blue jeans and, and my hair in braids and boom, I started working and I started getting commercials after commercials. And then when I was 10, um, I wound up auditioning for the Mike Curb Congregation and uh, did two national tours with them for two years. And uh, then I auditioned for Land of Lost and I was still with the band, but I couldn't do both. So I had to leave the band and went on to do Land of the Lost. But what's funny is Wesley and I's lives have paralleled prior to ever doing Land of the Lost. The band that I was in, Wesley worked with the same producer, record producer, Mike Curb. He was representing Wesley, and then Wesley and I just, you know, we get talking on, on old times and stuff, and he was literally working in a play, I think, down the strip from me when I was working at the Riviera in Las Vegas with Burt Bacharach, and Wesley was right down the road working at another casino, you know, doing a show. That, that's so amazing. we were literally, we were literally both on the strip at the same time. It's, it's amazing how it's a small world. Like you guys are near each yeah. other and didn't know it or, or kind of right. near, like the periphery, but you didn't know that was your future. And I'm using air quotes now, your future brother. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and Wesley will, will chime in on that one and say, you know, he doesn't just thank the cross for giving him a TV family. He gave they gave him a real family, which we are. We're as close as two peas in a pod. Oh, I, I think it sounds like, and I've seen different things, hearing different things, interviews you guys have done together. It's definitely you guys are extremely close. But what was it like singing with the Mike Curb congregation? Oh, I had a ball. That was really a fun time in my life. Um, you know, we, we performed with all the greats of that time. I, I mean, from Bob Hope to 
George Burns, Burt Bacharach, Joel Gray, Danny Thomas, uh, Sammy Davis, um, a, a bunch of them. Uh, I mean, all those older celebrities, you know, that were the the real true like heartbeat of of Hollywood. We got to sing with. What was it like singing with Sammy Davis Jr.? I mean, I, I can only imagine well, because he's Mr. Showman to me. <laughs> well, right, but we had um, on an album that we did. We did Candyman. You were on so, Candyman. Candyman. Oh my. <laughs> so we, you know, of course, Candyman was like is one of his big hits. So, um, yeah. We did actually the the um, the soundtrack for a movie called Kelly's Heroes. The, the Bernie Bridges. Called, yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you that. Were you on? Because that's one of for I, I love Kelly's Heroes and I love that song how it fits in with the movie because it's it's. So you were you you actually were part of that song that makes it even more special to me now. I I actually was not part of the original recording of it because I was too young. Um, I had I wasn't in the band at the time, but I certainly sang that at just about every show we did. <laughs> well, I'm still going to count it. It don't matter. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I, I'll take credit for it because it was the band I was in, and you know I did sing it all the time. So, yeah. Oh, that, I, love, I love that but song. But I did, I, it, when I was about 25, I think, um, We I did record albums with them. And it was funny, I went, you brought up Patrick Wayne. I was at Disneyland with Marisa Wayne, his sister, and Ben Vereen. And we were walking down Main Street, and I'm like, that's me. That's my voice right there. And it was singing the Mickey Mouse Club, and they were playing it over the speakers on Main Street at Disneyland. I go, that's me. That's my voice right there. Really? So yeah. You're like a little bit everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I get around, that's for sure. Well, this this industry is so funny because it's like a spider web. You know, it's hard for anybody to bring up someone that I haven't either worked with or I know them through some other format, you know. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the beauty of this business. You get to meet, you know, nowadays, especially that I do these conventions, I get to meet all kinds of celebrities. And, and that's, that's the amazing part is, is like um, when, you're, when you're in that side, it's, the, the, like you said, the interconnections. And, and I always look at it because people always say, how, they, they think it's really wild. Like, how can you ask these people for interviews and that kind of stuff? And I say, they're just like everybody else. Their job is different than most people, but they're human, you know, and, and, and they're either going to say yes or they're going to say no. And that's just the way it is. I mean, it's, it's just ask, but you're, you're really, you're just like everybody else, but, had, but you had a different type of job for a while. Absolutely. That is the reason why I wrote my book was because over the span of my career, especially more so when I was a kid, I would hear people say, well, it must be easy for you because you're a movie star. And I said, wait a minute. First of all, and this was when I, I've done films now, but at the time, 
I had not ever done a film, so I would correct them and I would say, I am not a movie star. I'm a TV star, but I'm not a movie star. And it has not been easy. That doesn't, you know, just because I have this job, that does not take away life. Life still occurs, just like I have all the same problems that every other, you know, kid had, you know, or adult has. You know, you can't escape it just because you have this job. Life still comes at you. So in my book, you know, it is my, the curtains are open on the windows to my life. And I just tell people, you know, my story and in hopes that it bridges that gap of thinking that we're any different because we're not. And that book you're talking about, Lost Girl, The Truth and Nothing But The Truth. So help me, Kathleen. That was my first book. Um, and the second and one now, is Run, Holly, Run. Correct, correct. And the other book is actually out of, uh, it, it's no longer being published. It was a book that I self-published. And then now I have a publisher and Run, Holly, Run. is. It's, you know, my story is my story. But I've added, like, a lot of stories into Run, Holly, Run. And... Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's my life, so the story isn't going to change too much, but a lot was added. A lot of details were added in different stories and stuff. And, and that's the thing. But I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of it. I've gotten great reviews. I've got two awards um, that I'm really proud of. And, you know, it, it was something that I'd never done before, and it's um, – it's it's a lot harder than you would you would think writing a book, especially when you're writing. I think about yourself because then it's uh, you have to look at what stories do you want to tell, and you don't want to be, I guess, too self indulgent. But then again, it is a book about yourself, and you want to. It, it makes I think it makes it like what what sides of you do you share and and parts, and it, 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 it is, and it's tough when you write in an autobiography. Yeah, this was um, this is a memoir, and it's just my journey. You know, it's just there's a lot of Land of the Lost information in there, and stories about the show, and and uh, things that happened, you know, on the set, and then there's uh, good, bad, and otherwise, and uh, then you know what took place when I left the show, where where my you know adventures started in other areas of my life. Um, it's it's been one heck of a ride. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely, and um, I'm I'm looking. I, I to hope you, the book. you. I hope you read it by the time I meet you because you'll. Uh, it's it's pull up your big boy pants to read it. So <laughs> it's a it's a wild ride. Well, I'm I'm, look, I'm looking forward to the, you know, getting the book and reading it before I see you too. And um, for listeners wondering, we're recording this at near the end of March, so I have a. I have a little bit of time before, you know, a couple months to, to get the book and read it. So I have plenty of time to be able to get and, and go for it. Listeners listening to this, you have a little less of a time, but hey, you know, um, a lot of these places ship quick. And if you're a fast reader, you can get it in. <laughs> <laughs> I bring books to these conventions too. Um, so that way people can get them autographed. Oh, excellent. And um, spe speaking of TV, how you got picked by Sid and Marty Croft to be Holly Marshall in Land of the Lost, one of the mm -hmm. shows I just enjoyed watching so much growing up. So what was it like with um, Sid and Marty Croft? Well, 
I went on seven interviews to get the part of Holly. And each interview, there would be like different people there. There would be some of the heads of NBC were in some of the interviews. There would be the director in some of the interviews. Then there was an interview where they wanted to, you know, see what the chemistry was between Spencer and myself, who played, you know, Rick Marshall, the father, and then interviews where it was just Wesley and I. And then this is a funny thing. I think it was on about the fourth interview that I went on. I went into the office and I see my friend Phil Paley sitting there. Well, I had worked with Phil in a commercial prior to that. And plus, we were friends, you know. We we had our own little brat pack back then of, um, you know, uh, rat pack, I mean, of, like, child actors that all used to hang out. And Phil was one of my good friends. And I was like, what are you doing here, Phil? And he said, I'm trying out for this part of this monkey on this show. I said, what show? And he goes, Land of the Lost. I go, I'm trying out for that show, too. So here we wind up both getting it. So, you know, that that was a crazy coincidence and turned out to be like so much fun because you know he and I are a year apart so we played together on the set and went to school together and you know it just made it fun having somebody closer to my age on the set so then you end up getting the role and it's, I find it amazing how again the small world it, uh, you kind of knew Wesley you kind of knew Philip ahead of time, you know, I knew him actually pretty well. And all, and it's like you're, they're putting together this cast, and um, I find it interesting. But what was it like working with Sid and Marty Croft? Did you get to talk to them or interact with them at all? And You know, that that's probably one of the reasons why I said, you know, that I liked having Phil there with me because, you know, I yeah, I saw Sid and Marty, and they would come on the set on occasion, and – and all of that, but they were basically talking with like the adults and stuff, you know, they'd smile at us and and say hello, but I really didn't have the kind of relationship that maybe Wesley might've had with them or Spencer, you know, because I wasn't, I wasn't an adult. So I wasn't privy to those adult conversations. I was just, you know, a kid with, with my friend, Phil, and, you know, we did our job and, um, and then when we weren't working, we got to just run around on those two sound stages, which were crazy fun. They were literally a jungle gym. (laughs) You know, we, we got to get into all kinds of mischief and, and just have fun. Well, that sounds after, of course, we got our three hours of school in. Well, yeah, you have to get your school in, and I'm sure they had the people there to make sure of it. I've, I've oh, had- you betcha. You betcha. Yep, there was a lady named Marge Slafer. I'll never forget her. She uh, she was watching that, that watch on her arm all the time, making sure that we got, you know, any 15-minute breaks that we had, get them into school. Well, that was, that was her job, and obviously she seemed to be pretty good at it, you know, getting you. It's like, okay, it's. You can't, you've worked them this long. Nope, nope. You have to come back now. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? It wasn't, you know, a horrible education either because we were one-on-one and maybe it wasn't a a six-hour day that you would get in a, a regular public school, but this was not 
30 kids in a classroom either. It was just myself at times by myself or, you know, with Phil in the class. So one-on-one learning was, was actually very beneficial. Oh, excellent. And I think, I think I agree with you. When you had that small class size or individual learners, some people homeschool, you're able to cover so much because you're going at the pace of the person instead of worrying about the right. pace of 25 people. Right, exactly. But it was it was fun, and and Wesley was our big brother, and and was very protective of us, and loving, and and the father, oh my God, he was amazing too. You know, just it, we really, like Wesley said, we really were a family, and to this day, we still are a family. We actually have done one show in all the years that we've done these conventions where Spencer came to it, and that was in Milwaukee. And uh, it was, first of all, incredible to see him. But I'm an observer. I, I really watch, like, the interactions of people. And I watched what Spencer did at this show, and I thought it was so beautiful on his behalf. He hung out with all of us, you know, periodically throughout the show. He hung out with us. And then he would take each of us alone off somewhere like whether it be a breakfast or you know just off and sitting like in a lobby on the couch or something and just spend some time just with each of us solo so he could just you know share a moment with just us so it made us feel important and and you know, it just was very, very good move on his part is basically what I'm trying to say is that we needed that. We each needed to be able to let him know how our lives were going, you know, without it being a group. Oh, I agree. It's nice when you have you had that um, wherewithal to give everybody the individual attention besides, you know. Everybody yeah, we all, we all needed it. We were all craving to, to have some one-on-one with Spencer and, and he made sure that he did that for all of us. And if, if I happened to walk by and I saw him doing it with one of the other, you know, like Wesley or Phil, I would like quickly go the other way because I didn't want to infringe on any of their quality, you know, time. So it was really neat. It was really a fun show the, we actually had not just Spencer, but we had everybody that had ever been on land of the lost showed up. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was really, it was really a fun, fun show. Now, obviously one of the things you said, you and, and Phil were able to run around on the sets cause you were both like, like 10 years old or ish. Um, doing it so it was, it was a great area to like explore and play um, at that at especially that age but you got to do something on the show that rarely anybody I don't think anybody else got to do you actually got to ride the dinosaur I know <laughs> I know and it is my claim to fame I remember <laughs> years ago of course I was sitting in a movie theater watching uh, the first Jurassic Park when it came out and that there's this one scene where the brontosauruses, and I know they call them something else now, but I will always call them brontosauruses. They were crossing that prairie, that grass knoll. And I started crying. And it was just because it was just so beautiful to me to see that. And and then, the, you know, the audience kind of like, because I was a little loud when I was crying. 
And I, I then like calmed down a little bit, but I thought to myself, you know what? I'm not going to feel bad about crying like that because there isn't anybody in this theater that can say that they wrote a baby brontosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you remember at all, like how they how they pulled that off? I mean, do you, I mean, of know. course, of course. We use today they call it green screen, but back then it was chroma key. And it was a blue, like a cobalt blue kind of color. And uh, we worked on that screen a lot, like a, a good chunk of the week we would be on that screen. Um, whenever there was, you know, dinosaur footage or the Lost City or um, certain, you know, other backgrounds where we needed to be on the chroma key. But um Anyway, yeah, I was sitting on a cylinder, a big blue, it matched the chroma key wall, same color, big blue cylinder, and, uh, you know, like a horse. I was, you know, up on it like I was riding, and I um, actually had a horse at the time, so <laughs> I was right at home. <laughs> I actually, my mother um had always told me because i was doing a lot of commercial work and stuff and with the band of course i wouldn't have been able to have a horse because i was on tour um but she always told me that if i ever got a series that she would buy me a pony um so i got that series that seventh callback that i went on we signed those documents my mom took me out that very same day she bought me my very first pony his name was comanche and uh they actually i used to talk about him all the time on the set all the time comanche this comanche that you know <laughs> making everybody crazy well the writers actually wrote in a line for me in one episode that says i miss comanche and i just always thought that was so sweet of them to do that we, it was some scene that we were thinking of will and i were thinking about home you know and I said, I really miss Comanche. And I thought that was when I read it at nighttime because they used to give us our scripts for the next day. At, you know, we were leaving and I would learn my lines at night. And I remember reading that and just being so happy for the next day to get to the set so that I could say that line. That's the great part about writers, like listening and knowing the actors and starting to adjust the scripts a little bit to um, the yeah. nuances that you're bringing to characters, but also the stuff that you're going on in your real life to make it a little more real. Right, right. I know. And like I said, I was, I was just so into my little pony. It was like my dream had come true. And the fact that my mother, who taught me the best lesson in life, was to stay true to your word. And, and I, I, I love that she did that. And to this day, it's a very elite club to belong to, the Stay True to Your Word group. But, you know, I am a member and a practicing member, and I stay true to my word. If I say I'm going to do something, I follow through. And that all stems from that moment with my mother, you know. Very, very interesting how, you know how important these moments are in life, you know? Well, that is true. Cause you only have your word. And then after that, if, and, and your own personal taste. It, 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 it's a hard, it's a hard membership to keep up, you know? <laughs> oh, it, it is. It is. It's, 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 it, life's all, life is always throwing things at you. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, so Let's see. What else you got? Well, you got any more questions? Well, the other thing is, I know with Land of the Lost, you 
you kind of talked about Wesley already and Phil. I thought it was interesting with that he had to learn a whole different language, and and you, and then you guys had to do dialogue with him. And I know I know talking to Wesley that you I think in your script you were given like little sub notes explaining what his what he was saying actually translated to in English. Right, right. I mean, Phil, Phil was absolutely amazing that he, I mean, because in the first like year, he pretty much only spoke Pakuni and very broken English. As the years went by, he started speaking more English. But um, we also, I mean, the, 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 the main weight was on Phil's little back. He he did an amazing job. But we too also spoke Pakuni as well. And it was a language. It was developed at UCLA by a professor and of language and uh uh linguistics and it was uh it, those words really meant something. So you couldn't just do gibberish. You had to be spot on. You know, everything uh Oganza Bisasa that that's one of the the sayings, it means big magic. You couldn't just willy-nilly say anything. It, it had to be right on the money. And I think that was the smart writing of the show, is to keep it so that it actually, inter, you know, people that watching the show, kids and stuff like that, especially because it was in syndication, they were able to see episodes multiple times over the course Do of you remember years. what our names were in Pakuni? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. No, I don't. <laughs> I know, I know. Most people don't, but it's Weera, Ari, and Marishara. Weary, Ara, and Marishana? Weary, Ari, and Marishara. Okay, Ari. All right. Yeah, Ari is me. Weera, Will, Ari, Holly, and Marishara, because you know how they used to just call him Marshall? <laughs> And that, of course, gets brought up all the time. So would his name be Marshall Marshall? No, his name was Rick Marshall. But as the song goes, it's Marshall, Will, and Holly. <laughs> I always thought that was interesting because like, it's like Marshall, Will, and Holly. They never they never say Rick, Will, and Holly. It's, it's Marshall. and it's <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's that darn Wesley. <laughs> he, was, he sang the theme song. I'm sure he, he mentioned that to you. Now that we mentioned it, he sang it also. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, did he sing you the closing credit song too? Yes, he did. He, he He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and then I bet you he even sang it on the third season when they rewrote it because we switched from having the father to the uncle. That he did not do, but he but he sang he sang parts of other songs for other different things. So he was... He was thoroughly entertaining, um, as, wow. as as you know, he, as you knew he would be. I mean, he's he's uh, of course, of course, he's a one man band. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is. And but, but it, it, the show was not just about. I mean, it was about the family, but it had the Slee Stacks. I mean, you can't mention right. this is like Star Trek and Klingons, Land of the Lost, and Slee Stacks. I mean, it's right. What was it like when you first saw a Slee Stack? Well, I know, you know, a lot of people say, weren't you scared of them? They terrified me. Well, those outfits that they were wearing were wetsuits, um, like what people surf in. And because of the lights on the set, 
and just the the heat that would would occur when they would be fully suited up. That means everything zipped, everything velcroed, you know, the headpiece on the the uh, hand pieces, the whole nine yards. They could only work for about somewhere between thirty to sixty seconds at a time. And then they had to like cut and, and strip off, you know. So the majority of the time when we were hanging out on the set, I don't know if you've ever seen like on the side of the road where people are surfing and the surfers pull their wetsuits down to their hips. Yes, yes, I've seen pictures That's, stuff like that. that yeah, and then they and our sleeve stack guys would you know, they had like white t-shirts on and they just pull them down their hips and the arms of course would like swing down by their knees. And that's how I saw them most of the time, but they were super impressive. I don't think any of the other, not the movie, not any other version of them is as cool as the ones that we had on the set. I, I just think our ones were the best and they were made by Mike Westmore, who is like, you know, the, the Westmore family are, are right up there with Max Factor. I mean, they're the most famous makeup artists in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. His 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 costuming for that and um, and for Phil, for Chaka, I mean, it's, it's excellent. I mean, it, it's still. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we, when you brought up the Star Trek connection, you know, we were blessed to have had, you know, all the Star Trek writers working on our show. We had the best makeup. I mean, there was a lot of, you know, I, there was an episode just recently on um, Pickers, American Pickers, where they um, have some of the dinosaurs, the, the stop animation dinosaurs, um, the they had them and they've like fallen to pieces. They've crumpled all up, but the the metal part is still, you know, in existence on them. But um, they were talking about the, the guy who, who the artist who made those, he's an a, a Oscar winning artist. So I mean, we had like some super talented people working on that show. And it, it's, it shows, I mean, that's why it has the longevity that it has. It's why it really touched so many people because the writing was brilliant. It, it stands, it holds up to today's standards. Oh, I think so. And, and I said, I said this with Wesley I, and the writing, when you write down the children, it doesn't last as long, but when you write episodes that are for, that are for all ages, those are the right. ones that last had that had to have the legs because people can enjoy it, you know, regardless of their age. And I think that's, that's the, the talent that writing for a lot of children's shows is missing is where they're, they're like, Oh, we must write. Like they, they feel like they have to dumb it down and it, it's no, you want right. to write it for everyone. Yeah, no, no, no. They, they certainly didn't dumb it down. That's for sure. Oh no, because it's it, it's a it has a lot of convoluted plot things going on when you watch a lot, mm-hmm. all the seasons and everything tying together with time and space and um, people going back and forth. I mean, you know, it's it's it really hits. And then you have you even have like uh, in the in the series, you know, your father perishes or not perishes, but goes to another place. You know, goes back in the time thing. Who knows where he ends up? I mean, you don't know. You don't see right. and then and, your uncle and, comes in. So you even lose your father and that, that that's 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 not something you normally have in a children's show. Right. No, I know, I know. We had some sophisticated subject matters. That that that's uh 
That's for sure. I mean, Wesley's favorite episode is called Circle. And um, it's where we all go back and then we all come back again. And it's when Enoch is in the pylon and he's and he's with the matrix table and he's trying to explain to us because we're we're asking him, can we go home? And he goes, you can go home, but in order for you to leave, three more have to come back in, and it winds up being us that come back in, and the whole episode starts from the beginning again. And it's we just you know it was our doppelgangers, and we just that that's like a, a pretty heady thing to, to have on a kid's show, you know? Exactly. I mean, and it's, that's not the normal fare. And I think that's what makes it special. And you said Enoch Walker, um, Edmondson, Edmondson, um, played e- no, um, e- um, Enoch and in the costume and the voice, what was it like working with him? Well, he was an, he was a doll. He was an absolute doll. I, I actually, um, got to spend uh, about five days with him at a convention called Dragon Con in Atlanta a couple of weeks before he passed away. And we had an amazing time together in uh, Atlanta. A very spiritual, beautiful thing occurred when I was there. It's it's, uh, it's uh, too long of a story to share, but it was really an amazing, um, amazing uh, moment with him. That's, that's what my memory is of him as far as of recent, but, um, on the set, he was a, a real character. He was funny. He also played the minor on the show, the, the man with the cannon. Oh, the civil war guy. Yeah. Yeah. That was also him. He also is the the voice of Sigmund and blurp and slurp on Sigmund and the sea monsters. And his body of work is, it goes way back and it's ex- extensive. You know, he was just a, an incredible man. Oh, he, he wasn't. Uh, I, and he was created by Walter Koenig, who was Chekhov in Star Trek. Again, more Star Trek connections. It's, it's, it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like you're a spinoff of Star Trek, but you're not. It's like the creative force just like, oh, let's make this. and Right. And we've recently been doing shows with David Gerald, who wrote Trouble with Tribbles. He was our head writer. And he's been coming to a couple of the conventions that we've been doing. And uh, he tells, like, you know, when I say to you, well, I was just a kid, so I didn't interact with, you know, the adults that much. I mean, I did and I didn't, you know, they were, there's just such a difference. It's like, like in the dating world, six years isn't a big difference if you're an adult, but six years is a world of difference if you're a child. You know, if, if I was 12, I certainly couldn't date anybody that was 18. You know what I'm saying? Oh, exactly. So it was sort of like that. I mean, we were kids and, and they were kind and funny and friendly with us, but we weren't part of the adult conversations. That was, that was just not, not our, our experience. But, um, 
David tells a whole different perspective of how he got the job and how he came up with these ideas. It was his idea about the flea stacks. It was his idea to name it a flea stack. He had a vision of how he wanted them to look like tall lizards, real skinny, tall lizards. And then he gets together with Mike Westmore and bam, they create the flea stack. He, he thought, what would they sound like? And he thought, maybe hissing, you know, just all of those things that are fun to hear about from a different perspective, you know? Yep. And, and, that's, and that's why I love talking to, like, people like yourself and Wesley because you get the two different versions of what you're talking about. And if I'm ever lucky enough to be able to interview him and, and Phil, uh, again, it'll be, like, three and four different versions. And all, it's all true. Absolutely. It's just different lenses. Right, right. They all they all match in the end. It's just, you know, with any any story that you tell, if there's more than one person in it, you get the perspectives of what other people saw. Exactly. And you got to work with I'd I'd say person you can literally say was a giant, Richard Keel. Oh yeah, he did um I want to say, I think he was on two episodes. Yes, Mallory. He was, he, he was like seven, seven, two. His wife was five, one. <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he was, he was just a, an enormous giant, but a gentle giant. And, and as a matter of fact, we um doing the Star Trek convention because Wesley and I do it. We've done it for the last like seven or eight years here in Vegas. And uh, the first couple of years, Richard used to come to the Star Trek convention as a celebrity guest. And uh, we had, uh, we got to spend some time with him. Or at least I got to as an adult, which is always nice, you know, because mm-hmm. I get to now like back to that thing about, I, you know, was a kid on the set. Now when I'm, I'm with the adults, you know, like whether it be Sid and Marty or Wesley or Spencer, I get to have an adult conversation with them. And that's, that's nice, you know? Oh, I, I totally agree with you. It's, it's like, again, you're, 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 you have one kind con- you had one opinion of them. And then years later, you re- you have a totally different opinion because you're able to have those different points of view and kind right, of information. Right, right. I knew them as a child, and then I know them as an adult, and I know them now on different levels. And, yeah, it, it's like it's been a very interesting journey. And I, I talk to Wesley all the time, and, you know, he's there for good times. He's there when times are tough. You know, he is my brother. He's literally your brother from a different mother. I mean, people always say that, but for you guys, it's true. (laughs) Very true. And Philip and I, we've been friends for so long. We get get giddy when we get together. We we just revert to children and uh, and this silliness that we started our friendship on. And we just laugh and laugh. He's, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's not really like a brother. He's... He's like a best friend, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the great part about doing a show with somebody that's your best friend and staying friends. I mean, because everybody always says, oh, working together is like a family. But then I think for the four of you, Spencer, you know, Wesley, Phil, and yourself, you literally were a family and a state of family after the show for decades. I mean, that that's the impressive and, and the beautiful part. 
Yeah, and you know what? It's not all that common. It, it, it is a rarity that, first of all, we're all still here. And second of all, that we get along. And a lot of times that's not the case. But, yeah, we've, we've just... Uh, we have a good group, and and we we don't take it for granted. We really, you know, uh, appreciate each other and know that we're very lucky. And uh, yeah, we're very grateful, without a doubt. Oh, I'm I'm extremely grateful, you know, too, that you're able to do this interview with me. And uh, the other thing I'm just going to ask you about, I know I, I have a suspicion that your favorite dinosaur is is dopey i'm just i'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna guess because you rode him and everything like that <laughs> without a doubt as a matter of fact i had a hand puppet like we used a hand puppet for close-ups i had one duplicated that looks exactly like the one that we used to use on the set and i bring it to the shows you'll see it when you come to monster bash oh that that'll be cool i'll actually i'll actually be able to see dopey in real yep. in, in in real life so to speak yes you will <laughs> Yes, you will. I have a dopey, somebody got it for me, a, a dopey necklace that I wear. It's a little silver brontosaurus that I wear. Oh, that, that's got to be amazing. And I can't, I can't wait to meet you guys at the Monster Bash with the raft, the dopey, the slee stack. I mean, it's just going to be oh, the memories coming back and, and, and new memories being made. It's going to be fun. Yeah, and we have like a bunch of photos that we put out on our table. So, like, there's a photo of one episode where I meet myself, my future self. Um, Erica Hagen played that part, and uh, you know, it just it brings back memories. People are like, "Oh my god, I loved that episode!" You know, so yeah, all kinds of different pictures and. It's just fun. You'll have a ball, trust me. And anybody else out there, come on down, come meet us. We'll, we'll all have a good time, a lot of laughs. And I want to thank you for, for giving me this time. But the, the one thing I want to ask you just before we end the conversation, I asked this to Wesley, and, and he, he really couldn't come up with an answer. To me, it's, it, it's, it's a tough question. What is something that you wish people would ask, like somebody would ask you about that nobody's really, nobody really ever asked you about? About re with regards to the show, anything you know, the show or anything. There's something that's like you've, man. I, I really hope somebody would ask me this question or ask that, but I, don't, I almost never get asked about it. Something you've done could be in the show. It could be something outside the show. Hmm, that's a tough question. <laughs> it is. It is a tough question. I thought, oh, I'm going to ace this, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that is a tough question. I, I'm telling you. I've met so many people. Most of the questions have been asked. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to think, could I give you that answer in, in Mon at Monster Bash? Sure, <laughs> sure. We'll give you some time to think about it. So yeah. I'll, ask you, I'll ask you one other question then that we could put in then. Were you with Wesley when you, when he saw, when you guys saw the premiere of Land of the Lost, the movie? I was not. Oh, you were not. Wesley and Phil went. No, I was not there, but Wesley and Phil went. Um, as a matter of fact, Wesley screamed in the movie theater, um, kind of like what I did when I saw the brontosaurus in Jurassic Park. Um, he screamed when he saw the father kiss the character Holly because it just seems so wrong. You know? That's what I was going to bring Even up. Though, <laughs> 
even though she wasn't playing me, it's still Marshall Holly. It just it just was so wrong that he wound up going ah like that when when it happened in the movie theater. That that though I was going to bring up if you were there, did you hear him scream? And you know it's because. Uh, I can imagine, you know, it's like, oh my God, it's my sister and my father. Ah, but it's, they're not in the movie, but it's still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, all the same character names, you know, and we do get that a lot. What did you think of the movie? And, and, you know, I tried to give one answer one way, another answer another way. And then I finally thought, you know what? All I'm going to say is it, it, it was called Land of the Lost, but it wasn't Land of the Lost. It was. It was something else, but that's not when they said they were going to remake our show. I was so excited with today's technology, what they could have done with the $200 million budget. I just thought this is going to be phenomenal. And then when it turned out to be a spoof, I thought, oh my God, what a shame. What a shame. Well, I look at it this way. They filmed cameos with both of you and then they cut you out. I mean, really that's, that that's when you know but then then it won the razzie and will ferrell won the razzie for that year so you know what in 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 a weird way it was a good thing that we weren't a part of it well that's true that is true but I, i'm just thinking like once once they cut you out it, it lost all the good mojo all the karma was going against it at that point <laughs> yeah you know it just i don't know what what made them make that that decision to go that route but to, you know i always say that you know, it's kind of like a camping trip. You know, the first night you get there, you just get your tent set up. And, you know, the next day when when the sun is up, you, you know, you kind of scout out your campsite and, and you wind up, you know, making your campground better for the weekend. Well, can you imagine what the show would have been like, the movie, if they just showed what it was like, what we found, the new things that we had explored for 40 years after 40 years? We would have found all kinds of new places, and they could have really just—they could have really made it so rich. And I think the thing is, is that was the time where a lot of TV shows were being made, remade, but they were being made as spoofs. You know, there was a lot of them that, like, oh, we, we're going to make them back, but we're because they're seventies or early eighties, we're gonna we're gonna make a spoof of it. Like, and 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 people. Sometimes it worked, but most of the time it didn't. And I think they just lost what was really making it interesting. And that was the good writing and the good family dynamic was missing in the movie and how you guys lived in that cave and how you guys came up with all those different things. And they did, it was just there. Like sometimes you explain and sometimes you just saw how people could take those skills and like, okay, this is where we're at. How are we going to make this work? You know? And I think that that's the part of the shows that I love. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it could have been something really special, but David Gerald has something up his sleeve and, uh, that's for another time. I'll tell you about it, but, uh, who knows, you know, while we're still all here, it would be nice. Fingers crossed and hopefully, hopefully it all works out, but I want to thank you for taking time, you know, to spend with me and, um, I'm looking forward to taking the raft ride with you and Wesley and (laughs) late June at monster bash. You betcha. It's it's been a pleasure talking with you, Steve, really. Hello, everybody. This is Steve again. I hope you all enjoyed the interview. Um, Like I said, she was a joy to talk to. I'm really looking forward to seeing her in a couple of weeks. And um, 
So I want to let everybody know that at the end of this episode, we're going to be listening to Burning Bridges from the Mike Curb Congregation. Uh, but she brought up as one of her favorite songs that she got to sing. She's not singing on this recording of it, but it'll give you an idea what the song is was like if you've never heard it before. It's one of my favorite songs from Kelly's Heroes. And again, if you have any feedback you want to leave us from this episode or other episodes of the Diecast Movie Podcast, feel free to email us at diecastmoviepodcast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook and follow us there. And you can um, leave us feedback that way. Or like if you're following us on iTunes and everything like that, you can subscribe and um, leave us um, a review. Helps the algorithms out, whether it's um, iTunes or um, Anchor or whatever those ones you're following us on. I hope everybody enjoys it, and I hope to see you guys at Monster Bash. Here's the song. Thank you.